Hello, everyone, and welcome to At the Corner with Imperfect Life, the podcast showcasing extraordinary, ordinary women and discussing the issues and topics that intersect with our lives. I'm your host, Katie Capoza, and for today's episode, we find ourselves at the corner of caring and preparing. Many of us are either currently caring for an elder family member or anticipate that to be a part of our future reality. No matter when that happens, we can find ourselves stretched physically, emotionally, and oftentimes financially to care for our loved ones and navigate the bureaucracy and not sacrifice ourselves in the process. So today I've invited three guests to join me to discuss the topic of elder care, what we've experienced or are experiencing, because we've all been on a journey for a while here, and what we've learned and any advice or tips that we can pass on to our listeners. So we started this conversation on elder care with the intention for it to be a single episode. And as we explored all of the things we wanted to talk about, we realized very quickly that this should be a two-part topic. So today in part one, we'll get the party started with the conversation, and we hope that you will come back and join us on May 31st when we drop part two of the conversation. My first guest is a repeat visitor to the podcast, my dear friend, Amy Delorier. Welcome back, Amy. I so appreciate that I could pull you back into the vortex, and especially on this topic. How about a quick introduction to our listeners? Sure. My name's Amy Delorier, and like Katie said, I'm a repeat guest on the podcast. Very happy to be here. I'm really excited about this particular one because it is something that kind of somewhat getting started in my life with elder care, having aging parents. So I'm really excited to talk to everybody and hear their perspective. And I live in Florida, and my parents thankfully live down here as well. And I've been down here for about 30 years. I'm originally from New York. Yay, Mm, New York! (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Awesome, awesome. My next guest is Karen Waite, who I had the great fortune of meeting through her brother, who is an amazing man, and have stayed connected to throughout the years. I always get so much inspiration from her. She writes all sorts of blog posts and social media posts about her journey. It's very inspiring and also helps me feel a little bit less in the whirlwind as I try and navigate this myself. And I'm so honored to have her as a guest. Karen, can you do a quick introduction of yourself as well to our audience? No, now, because you're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. No, really, I'm really happy to be here. This is actually my first podcast. I've been talking about wanting to do one myself. So this is exciting to be here and especially to participate with you ladies. I'm uh, about to be a septuagenarian. I don't even know if I can pronounce that word. (laughs) My mom is actually having a hard time, a harder time believing that I'm going to be 70 in June when she turns 95. And believe me, I'm having a hard time too. So yeah, yeah. But I've been on this journey a long time. And actually my journey with my mom started way back long before she started to age and I'll maybe share a little bit of that later. But anyways, I grew up in a military family. My dad was in the Navy. I was actually born in the Panama Canal Zone and got my sea legs at about eight months. And uh, that served me well later because cruising became one of my favorite ways to travel. But I'm the middle child. And we know what that means when you're the middle child. (laughs) (laughs) Hearing that earlier. And I actually got to be a mother middle child when my mother had my baby brother at 
when I was 15, I was in high school. So you can imagine the surprise that was for her and for me to uh, <laughs> help, help raise a baby when you're, you're in high school. But it was one of the biggest blessings of my life to have him. Because of him, I got to stay, I think, even younger at heart. I uh, loved the music from my generation, very much 60s and 70s, but he was obviously 80s music. So I really dig 80s music as well. But you had an <laughs> awesome album collection too. Oh I my remember. gosh, yeah. <laughs> and he even liked some stuff that I liked and he likes, he grew up with a parent that was much older than his mother should have been. But anyways, career-wise, I started off working in small business, actually doing something that I loved was working in a florist because I love flowers and then went on to a big corporation, which is where uh, Katie and I crossed paths because of my brother and did that for 35 years. And then I moved back into the small business. And now I'm a, a wellness advocate which is so important and you will find when you get to this age and I'm a wellness advocate in the CBD industry. So yeah, yeah. So that's just a little bit about me. So awesome. You have multiple fans of that industry here <laughs> and we are all kind of six degrees of separation with that large company because that's how yes. I met. Uh, our next guest, our third guest is my really good friend, Amelia, who I've known for about 10 years now. We first met in Shanghai and have stayed connected ever since. Uh, and now I have the good fortune of having her just down the road from me. Um, so the adventures can continue. Amelia, how about a bit of an introduction of yourself as well to our audience? Sure. Thanks for having me on. Just like Karen, I'm also a podcast virgin. So this is really exciting. <laughs> and this topic is something that's really become a bigger part of my life and also my husband's life. My parents are getting older. They're on the East Coast. And as you mentioned, I'm in Seattle. And my husband is an only child who is Indian and his parents are still in India. And so that also has its own set of complexities, as well as illness and various other components. And so I was really excited to talk to other people who are going through this journey, who've been on this journey for a while to understand, because I think you don't realize how much there is to know and how difficult it is to find worthwhile resources. And so until you're thrust into it, and it can happen very quickly when you're not expecting it. So really excited to learn from other people and hopefully have people be able to learn from our experiences. Indeed. Yeah, it is. I, that is the sad thing about the topic, right? You fumble your way through resources and finding, I think some of the best resources I collected was somebody going, I'm going to send you a photocopy of this thing that I've got like that's, and I've just been collecting that stuff. So we hopefully for all of you listeners that are either in the middle of it or anticipate that it's going to, you know, be happening soon. We'll leave you some breadcrumbs and share some of those resources. And then on our social media, where we'll start the conversation, we would love for any of you out there listening to share some of the things that you've discovered along the way as well. So thank you to all three of you for joining and especially on a topic that is so personal and emotional. So I'm going to give us the get out of crying jail free card <laughs> because at some point in time in here, there's going to be tears of frustration, tears of sadness, tears of just like exhaustion, all of that. I'm sure something like that will happen on there. Um, and all four of us are on this elder care journey at the moment. And we're all in various mm -hmm. stages and situations and, and different things happening. So before I have us dive into our individual stories, though, I always like to share a little bit of context with the audience about the topic. 
So according to the 2020 caregiving in the U.S. report from my good friends at AARP, anybody who's been listening to knows that I Card carrying member. Thank you very much. Yes, indeed. I watched one of my free movies last night. Anyway. And I got to join. One of these days I got to join to the dark side. Anyways, they partnered up with an organization called the National Alliance for Caregiving and did some research. And today, what they shared was today more than one in five Americans or 21.3% are caregivers. And their definition of caregivers is someone having to provide care to an adult or child with special needs at some time in the past 12 months. That is approximately 53 million adults in the U.S. who are under that title of caregiver. So here were some other statistics that they shared as well. Nearly one in five are providing unpaid care to an adult with health or functional needs. More Americans at around 24% are caring for more than one person, which is up from 18%. More family caregivers at 26% are having difficulty coordinating care, which is up from 19% in 2015. And I'm going to guess it's just because the healthcare system here in the U.S. is so complicated. More Americans at 26% are caring for someone with Alzheimer's disease or dementia, which is up from 22% in 2015. More Americans at 23% say caregiving has made their own health worse, up from 17% in 2015, which this is a topic we'll talk about as well. And that family caregiving spans across all generations, including boomers, Gen X, Gen Z, millennials, and the silent generation. So we're all talking about. So one of the main reasons we wanted this subject for our podcast is Gen X is a generation that is proportionally versus historical numbers is sandwiched between still likely giving some level of care to children and potentially doing elder care as well too. And that's a bit of a new kind of mass audience for that scenario versus boomers before us. Although I just also just learned about Generation Jones, a generation in between boomers and Gen X, which Karen might be you, but where did that come from? I don't know. I'll put a link. I'll put a link in the podcast notes so we can all explore this, but uh, generation Jones. Jones. Yes. As in keeping up with the Joneses. Um, Okay. Yeah. But they're instead of hippies, they're the seventies disco generation. So a little bit different. That's probably me. Yeah. Yeah, Swimming, we're all swimming in this scenario. And then the last statistic that I'll share is 61% of family caregivers are also working. So all of that to say it's getting harder, not easier. <laughs> yes. I'm surprised I'm exhausted you just reading those numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't touch on also how disproportionately it falls to women. Yes. Yes. For real. Well, and actually this report, which I will put the link in the um, podcast notes, it does a demographic breakdown of this data. So it looks at it relative to women as caregivers. It looks at it African-Americans versus the Asian population. Yeah. Yeah. And what that means from there. So there's some really good meaty information in this report for everybody to dive into. But like I said, we'll give the link out and we'll share it in social media as well in the podcast notes. But let's 
dive into our own experiences with caregiving. And in this first section, I'd like to stay focused on taking care of others. In our middle section, we're going to talk about taking care of business. And in the third section, we're going to talk about taking care of ourselves. But it all starts with there is a need to take care of somebody else. So let's start with taking care of others and maybe share a little bit about our own situations, how we like how it emerged and how we're experiencing it. Amelia, I'm going to put you up on deck first. Sure. <laughs> Can you maybe share a bit about your situation and what you're experiencing? I'm 40. Uh, my parents are, my dad is 81. My mom is 75. I'm sure that I'm slightly off, but that's um, pretty close. <laughs> my husband is a little bit younger, but his parents are 80 and 81. And as I mentioned in my intro, they're based in India. I would say that with my in-laws, they were really doing really well. We're far away, but we did put some things in place that they were able to stay at home and be comfortable and have enough help around the house. And then my father-in-law started having really significant health problems and being in and out of the hospital. And so that really shifted it to needing more urgent attention, more regular COVID and isolation, trying to figure out uh, people to come in the home. There's just so many different moving pieces that we were trying to figure out from here. Sometimes we weren't able to travel for an extended period. We couldn't go there to be there and help them. And we don't have a lot of family on the ground. Traditionally, you would have a lot of family in the immediate area. They live in a different city than the rest of the family. So that's been one set of focus. And with my parents, I think that they have been resistant to make a decision about their long-term plan. My siblings and some of my dad's siblings are in California. No one is still, no one's in the, in the Boston area anymore to support them. So as there's been health issues for both of them, it's been really challenging that we can't really go there. And so they really wrestle with coming to California, but giving up their own lives, but being able to get family support and it's, that is a really challenging decision to make. I don't envy them at all, but we do regularly have the same conversation about no decision is a decision. And when you do put a stake in the ground, we will all rally behind you. So I think it's for them, I, I think even the idea of going into not even assisted living, but one of the planned communities that's specifically for 55 and over. I think they don't want to see, they both really struggle to see themselves as elderly. That's not for me. That's for old people. And yeah, I would say we, as neither of those situations are particularly stable, they definitely ebb and flow. And so we just have to shift our focus and attention, time and resources, depending on which is more urgent. And I do have siblings that can get engaged with my parents, but yeah, it's a constant juggling act, I would say. Yeah. And you're a little bit different and Karen and Amy will share their stories in a moment, but Amelia and I are in the scenario that we're on the total opposite side of the country. <laughs> and in, in your in-laws case, you're not even in the same country. And yeah. so it's, you're trying to manage this through the phone geographically, like it's just hard to drop in. And when I think about, and I'll talk more about my situation, but I know in conversations with you, you know, something's going on, but you're not there on the ground and you can't just go drop in, but it's trying to figure out, okay, so do I need to get on a plane? Do I not need to get on a plane? So yeah, with my in-laws, we installed cameras in, in all the rooms, which was more like if wow. we call and they're not picking up, can we, so we don't look, but um, we do on them. that we can't reach them. <laughs> 
Well, See, it's, also, like the, it's like the reverse of the kitty cams, right? But I mean, we're also on a 12 hour, tw- you know, time zone shift. So I can't just call up the neighbor sometimes and ask them yeah. to go knock on the door. With my parents, they would never allow that. Yeah. Never. <laughs> so those are some of the your scenario as a threat. I said, you need to call and be honest with me or I'm going to do what my friend Amelia did. I'm going to install a camera. <laughs> it's got two-way microphones too, but. At least I can go knock on your mom's door if you need to. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. That's it's an true. hour and 15 minutes away, but I can go bang down the door. Just a little bit closer, a little bit closer. All right. Thank you, Amelia, for, for sharing the situation that you're in. Karen, how about you? Can you share a little bit more about what you're navigating at this time? Yeah. And I, as we've talked before, I've been navigating it for quite a while. It actually goes back to the early 1960s when my mom um, had a nervous breakdown and I was about 10, 11 years old. So I've been the person that has been following along with her health and wellness for many years. And then it increased significantly around 2007 when my younger brother passed away. She was diagnosed with breast cancer and I needed to be there you know, with her. And I actually helped her make some decisions based on what was happening with my brother so that he wouldn't know what was happening to her because it would have made him even worse off, we felt at the time, you know. But thankfully, we got through that in 2007. And But as a result of that is when I really became engaged with her doctors. Prior to that, my parents had divorced. So in 2004, I actually lost my dad to colon cancer after a three-year battle. And I wasn't as involved with him because he was married to a, a younger woman who was six years older than me. I relied on her to be caregiving him. And she actually had worked in the medical field. And I have regrets about that now, not having gotten involved earlier. And in my husband's case, all of his parents and step-parents have have already passed. So he's been involved with that from the standpoint of estate handling. So we've learned a lot from that. So you may want to do that down the road, do something. But with my mom, she'll be 95 in June. And around 2013 is when uh, the fall started. Mm. And that is what really starts to precipitate when you have to really get actively involved and you have to step in and work with the healthcare industry about what's happening with them. And of course, that was, you know, being the daughter, she, as we know, oftentimes, as you said, from your, your data, it falls on the women in the family, especially falls on the daughters to, to be the caregivers. And she also saw me as trying to take away her independence as a result of that. Mm. That's a battle that you very often fight. We're, we're past that now. Thankfully, we went through some really rough years with that battle. It's when you have to start saying, Okay, you've had bad parking lot falls. You could have killed yourself. Luckily, you didn't break your face. You didn't break your arm. You didn't break yeah. your leg. But so many people do. I have friends whose parents, every time they have a fall, they break something. It's an arm or a leg or an ankle or something. But then you have to make that decision about, mom, you can't drive anymore. And that's a big one. That's a big one. My yeah. husband and I talk about when that day comes with us, especially with him. I don't want to be around when somebody gives him that news. <laughs> you know, it's not going to go down well at all. And he knows it. But so it's that. But really with my mom, it was started with some harassment with a neighbor. <laughs> so we use that to put cameras up on the outside of her house, not inside her house, but as a 
but I had the ability to monitor if she was getting in her car and trying to drive somewhere yeah. as a result of that. So things, things like that. It's, and it's hard. It's really hard because you're just trying to help and do what's best for them. And when they push you away and they get angry with you, they take it out on you that their independence is being taken away from them or decisions are being taken away from them. It really causes a lot of yeah. mental health issues for yourself, you know, yeah. to, to go with that struggle. Yeah. But yeah. then it's, then there comes that time at some point where you're talking about, do they go to a 55 plus community? My mother was way past that. She mowed her own yard and she had a big yard, front and backyard. She mowed her own yard till she was 80 and we made her stop mowing the yard, you know? <laughs> um, and that's when she says things went downhill. High blood pressure, we think she's going to have a stroke out there. But yeah, it's just, and then it, then you start working with the caregivers about, okay, and you let them help you say to her, okay, one more fall, this could be yeah. it. One more fall. If you don't want someone coming into your home, and she never would allow that. She was had been a military wife. She was very independent. When we all left home, she was used to being by herself, doing everything you know by herself. And she had, after she quit, she went back to work at 50 and retired at 65, did a hospice volunteer for 15 years. And then her whole social circle went away. So she yeah. wasn't even going anywhere and doing anything. And it became keeping the blinds closed. It was watching all the bad TV, you know, negative TV, all the mm. what's happening in politics and, and stuff like that. But yeah, that's when you've really got to start partnering with, with the healthcare workers to yeah. help you with some of the decisions. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. I, there are so many parallels between our, I, I, all four of us, our stories are different, but there's so many parallels and that we can pull those strings in just a moment. Amy, how about you? Take us a, a bit through your scenario. Sure. Mine is new from a time frame standpoint. My parents are in their mid um, 70s at this point. They live about an hour and a half away from me, um, very close to them. And they, they've been fine, right? Like it's all kind of this all of a sudden situation. My mom started having some health issues back in November. And my mom's the one that's she's she does all the banking. She takes care of things. And that watching my dad, that's really been my, my, my lens is watching my dad have to go through all of this as well and trying to help them navigate. But yeah, she started having some health issues and I've been, I was driving back and forth. Luckily, if there's a light at any, at the end of any tunnel when being unemployed because of COVID, it was good timing for me to not be working. It was a blessing to be able to go out there three and four times a week, just to spend time. She was in and out of the hospital and at rehabs and in just crazy stuff. And it seemed like everything just kept compounding. She'd go in for one thing, but it'd be something, it would blow up into other things. So just navigating that space, Karen, you mentioned just the frustration and the anger of losing independence. My mom is not walking right now. She's got some back problems and most of her hospital stays in the last six months have not been about her back. They've been about all these other ailments that mm -hmm. have come up that are keeping her from resolving her back issues. So a lot, she's just frustrated at losing her independence. And you can, it was so hard at first because my dad was, he was thrust into this caregiver space where he's always been cared for. He had to do the bills. He had to do all this. He had to navigate the medical stuff. She knew everything about what they were paying for and how much money they had. <laughs> So, and I don't know either. So I'm just trying to help him navigate at the same time when I'm like, I don't know how much money you guys have. 
Yeah. I don't know if you can afford this. I don't know what medical options you have. It's my goal has just been to be supportive and also just help in any way that I can. Thankfully, things have leveled out a little bit. My dad is has turned a corner and he's definitely feeling more confident in that caregiver space. They've gotten some services and some equipment that help make things easier on my mom, which makes it easier on my dad. They've done some other things. I'm the kid, right? I'm not supposed to be the one that knows all this stuff. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be the one that tells yeah. my parents what they need to do. And so I've struggled with that, right? Trying to make sure that mom is not being mean to my dad and my dad is not taking it personally and just trying to be like their therapist too and be strong. And at the end of the day, driving home an hour and a half and losing my mind and being mm-hmm. all emotional. So that's been the toughest thing for me. You're first. You're first. I'm the first oh. crier. <laughs> it's still so raw. I'm still yeah. doing it. Yeah. You're just starting yeah. the journey. Yeah. It's really, yeah. yeah. No, it's tough. Well, I know <sighs> our listeners know a bit about uh, my story, but similar to you, Amy, like it was like I was on the Peloton working out and got a call. So my parents are in their early mid seventies. And we were planning on rebooking the trip for them to come out to Seattle post COVID. And I get a call one day that my dad's come back from his checkup. He had, he had uh, a round of cancer 13, 14 years ago that had been cleared and was cancer free. And all of a sudden it came back with a vengeance and he was told that he had about three months and So now it's okay. What, all right, what are our options? What are we doing? Can't do surgery. Can't, you know, so just trying to see, so, you know, you've gone from planning a trip in about a year or so to, oh my gosh, I had three mm-hmm. months and, and my mom and dad have always been really good partners. They, my dad took care of a lot of things, but my mom's always been the record keeper accountant. So there was a split of duties, but, and she's always like really good. Like she has her notes. They're very, they document really well, which honestly <laughs> is probably the only thing that helped me retain a bit of sanity was because I didn't have to go look for stuff. It was all there, but I like in a heartbeat, my mom went from being the super like informed decision-making partner to looking at me with, I don't like, she was just so overwhelmed. She couldn't think. And I felt like I was catching up and having to catch up really fast. And my dad went through a series of treatments. So what was supposed to be only three months. We ended up having nine months. So that was, I'm really grateful for that as well. And and Karen, you talking about the spills, we possibly had a little bit longer with him, but he fell and his hip and fractured his hip and the lack of mobility and everything that came with it. And Amy, similar to what you were saying, right? At at first, when we got him to the emergency room and we got him and and they're trying to assess what the situation is stuff, everybody's talking about the conversation of hospice is there, but they're like, we don't know that he's, you know, we feel like he still has another month to two months. So we need to figure out what to do at home. 
And I'm like, my mom cannot do this on her own. Yeah. And I live on the other side of the country and I'm self-employed so I can work from anywhere. So that at least is helpful from that perspective. But we went within a matter of seven days from trying to figure out how we were going to set up things at home and how to get somebody to come into the house regularly to help my mom to know we're actually taking him to a hospice center. Yeah. Yeah. And then trying to find him because his cancer treatment was an hour and a half away. And we're like, the hot, like my mom cannot, <laughs> that yeah. she can't, she's not comfortable driving more than 15 minutes anyway. So doing that was not going to work. And we were just really fortunate that there was an opening at a hospice center that was a 10 minute drive from their home. And honestly, like just the most caring, compassionate but very straightforward, like just, I, I was just in awe. I kept telling everybody at this hospice center of, I don't know how you do this day in and day out, but you are very special people and you need to know that. But to getting him into that hospice center within seven days, he was gone yeah. and trying to help with my father who he knows what's happening, but he's trying to hold on to doing things making decisions, having the conversations with the doctor, but he's so doped up with the pain yeah. meds, but he kept, like I said, he had meticulous, like, here's what I've had from all my doctor's appointment. And I just kept adding to them. So when people came in, I didn't have to think I just had to read <laughs> yeah. and yeah. which was helpful. Um, but then, and then everything with my mom afterwards was just like, oh gosh, she's now She's been married to this man for 52 years. What are we going to do? And I will, I just came, we just had his memorial. We waited six months. My mom wanted to do it in the spring and she's found, she has a very good support system. She's out like right now while we're recording, she's out listening to Rocky and the Rollers with her friends <laughs> dancing at the courtyard of which she texted me to alert me that she would not be home. But the, but, and so this actually this last weekend was helpful to me because I got to meet and see her support system in action, but two key members of that are moving away for their right. own family oh, situations. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that's what concerns me, but we've had the conversation that if she no longer, and she initiated it, which I appreciate that if she can no longer take care of herself and she needs to go into assisted living, that she will move closer to my husband and I, because she's like, one, you don't want to live here in Florida and I'm not going to ask you to do that. And so I, and I'm going to need you. And it's just not fair yeah. to put that stress. That's great. Yeah. But, and that's all of that is in a span of 12 to 16 months. Nice. And to me, why this topic was so important was I, it was like, I went to bed one night <laughs> with older parents, but they were still active and involved. And I woke up the next morning as a caregiver yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and my head was just spinning and the listeners who've been listening for a while, they know I, my brother passed away. So in essence, I'm an only child in this scenario. And my father was an only child and my mom's family all lives in Minnesota. They all live far away as well too. So it, I felt really alone in this scenario and you're just looking around going, okay, I, my job is to take care of them. 
but I kept going, who's taking care of me? me. (laughs) (laughs) I need support. I need something. So I, and just as we tell our stories, there's a lot of overlap and I'm sure the listeners are hearing things that sound similar, right? We all have varying degrees of support from other family members or being the only caregiver option or lack of, yes. Um, But that there's geographic implications. And even so, Amelia, you got the extreme with the trying to get to (laughs) India, but even Karen and Amy, the two of you, I mean, driving an hour and a half or like it's carving. It takes a toll for sure. No matter where it is. I went through that when the fall started in 2013, I was working again. And I finally thought I'm, I'm going to quit working my, um, husband to be, we weren't even engaged at that point, but we were together. I said, I really need to quit working. Are we okay with this financially? And he's like, absolutely. So I uh, was going over and it was an hour drive because I was in Orlando at the time. It was an hour drive over and I would go and I would stay a couple of nights with her in order to take her grocery shopping or to a doctor's appointment or get her out of the house. And just, and um, that worked for a while until she had a hip fracture and she went in the hospital for that and I kept her for three days and then she went to rehab Mm. for 20 days and then of course that's the whole thing you'll get to experiences when medicare wants to kick them out of rehab before they really are ready or they're they're going to quit paying the bill so then you've got to bring them home she couldn't come home and be by herself at that point so I moved in with her for five months and that was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. It was really hard because she didn't want me there. If she had wanted me there, it would have been a little bit easier. And I wasn't getting any support from an older mom. And she would make excuses for him. Well, he's still working. I'm like, yeah, but he's five years old with me. He doesn't need to still be working. You know? <laughs> and guess what? He's going to be 75 next month and he's still working and he doesn't need to be working. And his wife doesn't think he needs to be working, but he's afraid, I think, to quit working. But, but anyway, so yeah, it's, so that was that. So I was away from my support group at that point point, you know, for five months. And then finally went back to meeting with social workers, meeting with the healthcare system at that point. And they, they assigned a social worker to the situation and came and evaluated her and evaluated the situation because she kept deferring them to my brother. Oh, you need to call him because she knew they'd never get a hold of him. (laughs) So she wouldn't have to make a decision. So that is where you have to, if you don't have anyone or you don't have parents who want to work with you as to what is the right thing at the time, you do have to rely on those healthcare workers to help you. And there is something in place to help you with that. There are social workers that get assigned, caseworkers that get assigned because they also have their patient rights. You can't just decide this is what I want her to do. They have to come and interview them. They yeah. have to determine what is the situation they currently is, live in. Is it safe or is it unsafe? So that's when I started working even more in conjunction with the healthcare workers. Yeah. And we, I think we should totally talk more about this when we're in the next segment as well, too, because I had a nutritionist who recommended, is your father using palliative care? I'm like, what is palliative care? Yes. And so then when I researched it, and it's no. not, a, not just pain, it's pain management, no. but it's just general wellness and life. And my father liked this doctor that was assigned to him for it. And they could have these real conversations. I think my dad just felt good with somebody who actually was talking to him as a human being, Mm -hmm. not as a patient for a case number. And 
honestly, I actually think the six extra months are because of palliative care, (laughs) frankly, but I wouldn't have even known to suggest it if my nutritionist who happens to work with cancer patients (laughs) hadn't mentioned it to me. So it's nuts. And I think about, you were talking about, she didn't really want you in her house, right? This Think about maintaining focus on the care, even when we're getting pushback or negativity from the person we're caring for. There was a moment with my father where his blood sugar was dipping dangerously low. And and I was like, I'm going to call an ambulance, right? This is, you go into renal failure. I just can't. And no, 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 no. And I went, listen, I, I am not a doctor. And here are the numbers that the physicians gave us. And you are not in the right numbers. And my mom kept pushing and he was getting very angry with my mom. And I finally just looked at him. I'm like, you called me for help. I'm here to help. And I am beyond my knowledge at this point in time. So I need to call for help now, unless we get these numbers up, drink the orange juice, old man. That's exactly what, like, that's exactly what happened with my parents is that the very first time my mom went into the hospital, it was I couldn't, it was actually at the exact week your father was passing yep. away, right? We yep. were, you and I were, I was coming to Seattle to visit you. <laughs> and um, it was like, do I go? Do I stay? And then the night before you said, go, if he does pass away, we're not doing anything right now. He doesn't want a service. I'm going to stay here with my mom and we're going to get through. And I know we're going to talk about the business of all of this stuff, but go visit Seattle stay in my house, hang out with my husband, and go. And then drink my wine, get my dogs, (laughs) which I was absolutely more than happy to do that for sure. And my mom went into the hospital and it's difficult even to this moment to really understand like what, what actually got, like, why did she go to the hospital? It was this really strange thing, but it was the scary part. And you talk about the rehabs and stuff, Karen, is that that to me was like the really, like the worst week. I went to Seattle. They were like, go, she's fine. She's in the hospital. She's being taken care of. She's good. And I left. They texted me, said, mom's home. Everything's fine. No worries. And then I get home five days later and all hell is breaking. (laughs) My dad is calling me crying and he's freaking out. And I was like, what, what happened? She went from being fine. She was not really fine. She was never really fine. They do spend a lot of time protecting us in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it's probably one of my most frustrating things is just tell me what is going on. I may lose my mind. I may freak out. I may be upset, but I'd rather know what's really happening. And she ended up, they ended up sending her home and she couldn't walk. And and she was in tremendous amount of pain. And I could not wrap my brain around a hospital sending a patient home who does not belong home. I couldn't even wrap my brain around that. And what I found out without a plan plan and talking to my father and talking to my mom and they were going to send her to a rehab because something was going on with her back after Mm -hmm. she had not had search. She had surgery a while ago, like over almost a year, over a year ago Mm -hmm. and something was going on with her back and they sent her home and I found out they were going to send her to a rehab and they couldn't find like one that's called a rehab. They weren't available. So they found another like care facility, but of course it was called a nursing home. And just the stigma, the stigma of that. My mom freaked out. She was in a serious pain. She was not the right person to be making decisions. She begged my father, don't send me. I'll die in there. I'll never go home. I'm going to die in a nursing home. And my dad couldn't take that. So he's, no, we want to go home. And so the hospital, okay, 
<laughs> we'll send you home. And they yeah. hauled her into his car and he yeah. had to call an yeah. ambulance when he got home to get help for her to get in the house. It was, so they were just like, it was just, it went from bad to worse yeah. in a matter yeah. of a day. And I could not even believe it. So it was all this navigating, even just that emotional, my dad calling, I can't do, I can't do this. I don't know if I could do this. She can't walk. I don't know what to do. And he was alone. And I was like, oh my God. And it was the decision. Do you go, like you said, Katie, do you go, does she need to go back to the hospital? What do we do? Yeah. And, we, and she didn't want to go. She didn't want to go. She didn't want to go. And I can understand that's not the greatest experience in the world. <laughs> and you want to just believe that everything's going to be okay. And it was really hard for my dad to defy her. It yeah, was really hard yeah, yeah, for him. Yeah. She was so angry that he called the ambulance. And I went there and I was like, we're calling an ambulance. We have to get her back into the hospital. And just, it just, it was a cyclical thing. It was really tough. And that anger and guilt and all of that was all wrapped into something that was also medical. And you just usually just deal with the medical, right? Like you just, yeah. I had appendicitis several years ago. You go into the hospital, you get it taken care of, you go home. But this was like wrapped up in so much. It was in, yeah. like, it was yeah. insane. I still can't really unravel it in my brain every time I think about it and how hard it was really quickly. That's what my you mom know? asked me to pick up like over that year basically was your father is snapping at me. He's yelling at me. Yeah. He's like, he's just constantly frustrated yeah. and I'm getting the brunt of it. And so my mom's constantly in the garage crying while she's yeah. doing laundry She's, yeah. I just can't do this. And he'll listen to you. And I'm like, because he's, he, you're a 52 year partner. He knows, or he feels like he can get away with it. And all right. So that's one of my responsibilities is to be the, the heavy, right. And to put things out there. Although I did learn to go, Hey, I read this in an article and then he'd go Google it and then it became his idea. So that was my <laughs> way of managing that. But there was even like, there were times that I'm like, dad, you need to be nicer to mom. Like you're like, I can't, I'm here to help. I, you asked for help. I'm here to help. And in order for me to help you, I need to ask for help. And I know you're in pain. I know like you have no patience. I know it is a shitty situation, but you gotta help me. If you want part of the help you want me to do is to manage her. You gotta help not make it worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Help me. Oh, it's a common theme though, right? My mom was the caregiver of my grandfather, her father. He, everybody, we all grew up in New York and my grandmother passed away and my grandpa wanted to stay home in New York where my uncle and his wife, my aunt live. He wanted to stay home. My brother ended up moving in with him just to have somebody in the house with him. So he wasn't alone. We all thought for sure he would, he would deteriorate very quickly, but he stuck around. She died when he, when she was like 78 and he might've been he was around the same age and he retired <laughs> then <laughs> to take care of her. So it was like, he was working till he was in his late seventies. And when he moved down here to Florida to live with my parents, he was there from 90 to, to his, till he was 95. And he would be like mean to my mom yeah. and yeah. she would get very frustrated. So it's interesting, right? Because she lived that. And she said, I'm not gonna, don't let me do that. I'm not gonna treat people that way. I'm not going to, I don't want to come live with you, Amy. If I need help, we're going to, we're going to, we, we're happy with going into a home. Those were all fine words, right? But yeah. now here we are in the midst of it. And 
you hope that's what you want. You hope yeah. that you don't want to live with your children. You hope that you don't want to be a burden. You hope you're not going to be mean and nasty to your caregivers, mm-hmm. but that's not what happens. It, and it's not even, it's not intentional. She's not intentionally being angry or anything. She just is angry. Yeah. Um, and you take it out on the yeah. people that you are closest to. And my dad, is, and it's physical closeness, right? It's not necessarily that my, me and my mom aren't close, but I'm not there every day. So she takes it out on my dad and she doesn't, it's interesting because she felt like grandpa knew that he was doing that, but he didn't, right? Like he, he couldn't help himself. And I think she can't help herself. And most people don't, most people don't. It happened with my, my uh, mother-in-law and my father-in-law and he got very sick and, and she was very depressed because he was just so frustrated, and angry, but in front of us, he'd be like, Hey, I'm oh, feeling yeah. much better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They can, yeah. You know, they put and on airs and it's appreciated. And she appreciated it when we would visit, like, Oh, it gave her a little bit of a break, but that is, it seems very typical. And it doesn't matter how much you say you're not going to be that person. You, I, there's just something, I don't know if it's a physical thing. I don't know what it is. You can't not be. It's emotional. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should take it like as a gift and say, they're being mean to me because they love they me. They must so love me. <laughs> well, and I used to think with my mom, some of it with my mom, I used to think it was because she wanted somebody to hurt. She, a lot of my mother's anger had a lot more to do with my parents' divorce and everything else. And she was still looking for somebody to take that out on. And she'd look at me and she'd go, you're just like your father. You look like him. You act like him. You make decisions like him. That's, I'm like, sorry. I'll lash out. And she, she had, the plan had been Katie and she was, Kevin was probably going to be the one to take care of her. And that would have been fine because he knew how to manage her. He absolutely knew how to manage her. He, he didn't put up with it. And I finally had to say to her one day, because my older brother, anytime she got like that, I'm checking out, I'm out of here. I'm not, he didn't do a thing. He wouldn't do a thing. It wasn't, if it wasn't for my sister-in-law making him come and help me, I would never have gotten any help at all for the little bit of time that I did. But I finally had to say to my mom, the Calvary is not coming. I am it. Kevin is not coming back. He's not coming back from heaven to take care of you or help you or do whatever. You're stuck with me. I'm going to have to be the one to help you make your decisions. And, And what I do try to do is honor as much the way she would do things. And we finally have reached that point in our relationship now. She's from, when did you get so smart? She didn't like how smart I was. How she thought I was so smart to work. She didn't like it. But now she's, she's even said to me lately, you should have been a nurse. You should have been a nurse. I said, don't you remember? I used to read Sue Barton's student nurse. I wanted to be a nurse. And then I wanted to be a veterinarian. She's like, no, the way you are, because these falls she's had in the last 45 days, these skin tears, anytime she touches anything or skin tears. So I'm doing what I think a nurse would do. I observe the healthcare workers and how they do things and who does it well and who doesn't do it. You really have a good touch. So now the compliments are coming. Now the compliments are coming. And it doesn't help that she loves my husband. The sun rises and sets on my husband even more <laughs> than me for sure when I you leverage that for you were gonna you were gonna yeah. toss something in there too oh I was gonna say earlier when we were talking about people becoming crabby and nasty as they get older <laughs> we definitely experience uh, some of that between my husband and I and when we talk about not wanting to become that way and what we've decided is that we believe that gratitude practices are what's going to stave that off And so we do 
start try as much as possible to be grateful for that. It definitely some of these situations that we have going on and that you do is are super shitty. No question. Mm-hmm. But we're really grateful that we have the resources to get help and, and there's a bunch of things and ways that it could also be worse. So we really do practice trying to focus on those elements of it. And we hope that by always trying to find the aspects of it that we can be grateful for, that we will stave off being crabby, nasty, bitchy old people. (laughs) And and this point is an excellent segue to our compelling question of the week, which for those of you that listen, know we ask every episode, we put out this question that we answer on the podcast and then we'll put out to the audience. And for this episode's question, the question is under times of great stress, what helps you to regain energy and perspective? And maybe it's gratitude, but what helps you with that? And I certainly know what mine is, but I'm interested to hear from all of you first. Anyone? I'll go. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) I think for regaining energy, it's being outside, whether or not it's hiking or getting out for a walk, definitely just being in nature in some capacity. And I would say for perspective, it is about being, looking at actively what we have but I'm also really good at looking at all the ways the situation could be even shittier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could be worse. Yeah. yeah, like, oh, I can totally go, you know, any situation I can tell you three ways, it could be so much worse. So <laughs> I would say that's the, that is uh, for me how I manage those elements. I'm, I, since I'm going to tag off because I'm exactly the same, I have to get outdoors. I have to get outdoors and I have to move. And so whether that's hiking, whether that's in the garden, whether that's a walk, I had days where I I literally just grabbed the keys and was out the door. My husband didn't even realize I had left. And I just walked two blocks very briskly with some really amazing music on music is also an outlet for me and came back and was just a new person. So for me, it is all about being able to do that. And perspective for me is I, if I can sit down and write down all the things I can impact, I have control or optionality around these things. And these are the things that I have no control over. My brain allows me to let go of those other things, even if I have to navigate them and put energy towards the things that I can actually do something about. And it does, it it almost gives me for self-forgiveness for those things that I can't do anything about. And it makes me feel like I have a little bit more of a plan on the things that I can do something around. So those are the, I'm a list maker. Hey, if I made my list while walking outdoors, they would be brilliant. But anyways, <laughs> that's what, that's what I do. Amy, Karen, what about the two of you? Go ahead, Karen, if you want to go first. Nature has always been for me. I'm, I was very much an introvert growing up. And that was the thing that my dad and I had in common was it was always being out in, in nature. So Birds here, I sit on the porch and get up before sunrise and watch the sun come up or walk down to the beach and watch the sunrise or go out and watch the sunset or just listen to the birds and stuff. And when I was commuting back and forth to my mother, when she was in her home and I would leave in tears, I would just put on some really loud music (laughs) in the car (laughs) and sing at the top of my lungs, occasionally sit in my car and actually scream. Do that little primordial <laughs> scream. Yeah. Occasionally I have done that. Um, I use the shower for that. I had yeah, a screaming yeah. moment a couple yeah. of weeks ago. I had one actually. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> yeah. shower. and yeah. I realized 
then none of my neighbors care if I'm murdered in my house because nobody <laughs> came to check on me. Running. <laughs> nobody came to check on me. But yeah. the problem I, I have is the cats freak out. The cats, yeah. absolutely. If I do the it in the house, the cats, yeah, the cats are freaking out. Like, oh my God, because cats are, so one reason why I figured cats are more comfortable sometimes with women than men is because the 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 pitch of our voices and we're usually soft or spoken and stuff like that. <laughs> we're not loud because when I get loud, my cats what is wrong? <laughs> What's going on with her? You know, but yeah, no, I, I've tried lots of alternative things. And, and now I'm actually, um, I'll take one of my little CBD <laughs> nano jellies. <laughs> and I'm on the way to my time with my mother. But the other thing that I do with my mother is to try to help her navigate and understand what's going on because she's uh, going into dementia now for sure. And I, and I try to relate to her, like with me helping her, I try to relate to it's my turn. You did this for me. You helped yeah. me walk when I was learning to walk or you helped me get dressed or whatever it is. So I, that's one of the, you know, flaws I have. <laughs> I think it's a flaw. Some people think it's an attribute, but it's, I can't, just not help that's the thing well so I can't, and none can't of us have kids yeah, yeah, so we yeah. need to we all need to yeah. go find some lovely handsome young person that is going to do this for us yeah. you can have all my money when it's over just take yes. care of me maybe a stranger is a better thing I don't know yeah. like yeah. I had a close Probably. I have a close friend and when her kids were younger time. they were like my surrogate kids and they would all say to me oh we're gonna take care of you and I'm like believe me when you get to your 30s yeah, yeah. you're pushing that. 40 the last thing words. you want to do is take care of some 70 80 year old person you know so. and they're great kids and I'm still very close yeah. to them but I don't really that's the thing that scares me the most right now is I don't know who's going to take care of me <laughs> I tell Sean I totally believe that they're, yeah. they're we'll have like exoskeletons and robots and I don't. yeah every oh, time we oh, think about yeah. our situation what are we going to do don't worry. The don't robots worry. got this. I also think there's always Thelma and Louise is out, right? Like, that's you and me. Hey, hey Amy, and me. I'm with you. I'm with you. Like it's time. There are organizations oh. popping up though that are connecting just right younger individuals with older individuals for mutual yeah. somewhere to live. Yeah. yeah, that's a great one. I love that one where they combine the kindergartens with the assisted living. Yeah. I love yeah. that one. Yeah. So yeah. So, so cool. Amy, let's at least okay. research that before we go over the cliff. And then yeah, we okay. can okay. So what about what, what is your thing that you do to help you from a stress relief and a perspective? I think a lot of it's the same. I, I take my dog for long walks every day. And when, it, when I was in the thrust of all of this, and it was a daily thing, I was taking her for a lot longer walks. Now, my dog is a fearful dog, so she doesn't really love the walk. <laughs> But it could be like, she's happy if it, cause I wasn't sleeping very well. So I'd be like, well, I may as well, it's five o'clock in the morning. I may as well just get up and take her for a walk. It's dark. She's better off taking a walk in the dark when there's no people around. Cause she doesn't have to freak out. But I started listening to podcasts again. It's one of those things I used to do when I was commuting to work and stuff, just to, um, when I had a longer drive um, to one of my positions and then I stopped doing it. Cause it's like one of those things I was just doing in the car. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> driving a lot. But then when I started visiting my parents, I started doing podcasts and just listening to things just to just break the minutiae of my brain, focusing in on those things. So being outside, it's hot here in Florida a little bit, even in the winter, but being outside, it started, we, we moved into a new house last year. So 
doing stuff around the house and just trying to unpack and just keep myself busy is generally how I have been dealing with that. But I also am one of those people from a perspective standpoint, I take it was just started researching things and it wasn't even necessarily elder care. It was more very specific things. Just, okay. They'd mentioned this was going on when my mom, one of the several of the times my mom went into the hospitals and she had, she ended up, my dad didn't know what was going on. She was, it was like she had dementia all of a sudden. And it was very scary because it wasn't about her back and her back was killing her, but she still couldn't walk, but she was not herself. And it was yeah. terrifying my dad. And it would, we learned that it's a um, symptom of UTIs yeah, when you get yeah. older. Yeah. And so I would find yeah. that I would watch YouTube videos and yeah. I'm just trying, I'm like trying to figure out how to like, how to navigate, not necessarily the how to, but the, what is happening to them? Yeah. Like, what is happening yeah. to my mom? How can I support them? What do I need to know? So I was addicted to just, let me just watch some YouTube videos. Let me research some things, just understand these the medications she's on, understanding all of this stuff, just have some context when I would visit and what have you and be able to help out. But that was my perspective was like, I needed to get perspective because I was just getting all this stuff coming at me about what was going on. But I wasn't there when the doctors were in the hospital. Like they only visit like once a day. So yeah. I'd be over there and I'd never and see the doctors. Seven o'clock in the morning. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous <laughs> no, my dad it was, was always know. when yeah. my dad was alone and drugged up. Like, right, just, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I was doing a lot. My The action I took to get perspective was just trying to do research and trying to find equipment and things that would make things easier for my parents and help my dad understand what was going on because he was just all wrapped in it. He couldn't even see the forest for the trees for a little while. And, and it was really hard, but that's how I was dealing with it. And there was the moments where I would just break down. Yeah. Um, Which you, you got to do. just scream. You have to do because in front of my parents, I can't, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they're breaking down. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they're well, looking they don't at you. All to... three of us don't need to be it's not very and there, there will come a time. There will no. come a time that you get where you'll reach a limit with them yeah. when you're trying to get them to do something they need to do or whatever, and the pushback, and then you will get so frustrated that yeah. you'll want to turn. And I've been there where it's yeah, like I, I had that moment in the hospital to, you know, with my yeah, dad, close yeah, to and, saying, "Look," and yeah. I now the way to deal with it for me is just you know what you obviously aren't in the mood to have a visit for me today, or this isn't a good time for us to talk about this or whatever, I'm going to go ahead and leave. And this, then she'll change her tune. <laughs> you know, she'll do anything to, you know, well, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah. let me move us on. And so thank you for answering our compelling question of the episode. And for those of you listening, we will post this out on social media and in our private community for members called The Corner so that you can also jump into the conversation as well. Thank you so much for listening into part one of our elder care conversations. Tune back in on May 31st when Karen, Amelia, Amy, and I will continue our discussion in part two, where we explore aspects around taking care of business and taking care of yourself. In the meantime, we'll see you at the corner and don't forget to join us in the conversation on social media and at www.liveimperfect.com.